Whether you're a writer of books or songs or a reader of books and a listener to songs, you're going to really enjoy these interviews with some of our leading songwriters and authors. I certainly enjoyed conducting them. My name is Sophie Green and I am your host. Rachel Johns is an English teacher by trade, a mum 24-7, a Diet Coke addict, a cat lover and chronic arachnophobe. She rarely sleeps and never irons. She is also the best-selling author of a number of, uh, of romance and women's fiction titles. Jilted was Rachel's first rural romance and it won the Favourite Australian Contemporary Romance Award in 2012. And I have to read this rather than say it because there are so many awards. The Patterson Girls won the 2016 Romance Writers of Australia Ruby Award and also the 2015 Australian Book Industry Award for General Fiction. Rachel's latest book is The Work Wives and her next book is Talk to the Heart, which sounds intriguing uh, in its premise. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me on your fabulous new podcast. Well, thank you for being here because it is a new podcast. We're both taking a risk, um, but I mm-hmm. speaking of risks, or maybe not, talk to the heart, not out till November this year, but <laughs> I love the sound of it. Uh, could you tell us about the premise and the twist on the existing tale that you are telling? Yes, sure. Well, I've had a um, bit of a tricky time with, I had, I had had a bit of a tricky time with writing the past few years yeah. and I just wanted to have fun and not sort of, go there again but I think particularly if you write in the genre of rural romance mm. um, it is hard to be original I mean in any you know as you know like in any genre it's hard to be original there's no stories that's not untold uh, but I had the hero no sorry I had the heroine of this book from two other books and she is not a nice person in the two other books and one thing which I would recommend to any writers um don't do what I do, like, and that is don't write villains. I'm learning because now I'm writing a villain in the current book and um, I'm like, well, she's got to have a motivation. Why is she like this? I need her to be like this, but why? But I didn't have that for Adeline, who's the character in the first two books, Talk to the Heart, I mean, Talk to the Town and something to talk about. I just needed, you know, a plot device kind of thing. And I never expected to write her story, but years ago I what happened is I wrote Jilted, my first book again. I did this. You'd think I'd be learn from my mistakes, but I am a slow learner. And so I had a char- another character like this in Jilted and I did end up writing her book because people wanted more of that that town and I literally only had this one character that really I felt, you know, could have a story. So I redeemed that character in that book. But I thought, and it's been about 10 years since then, but I thought I can't do the same thing again. And um, so I spent a lot of time thinking, how am I going to make this Adeline person? Like literally the only redeemable thing about her in the other books is that she breeds dogs kind of thing and she likes dogs. But um, I'm like, how am I going to make her redeemable? Now, this is a slight spoiler for one there, but it's not really. Um, it turns out in the other books that her grandmother is a murderer and this murder happened obviously a long time ago and so there's a ghost in the other two books and it's her grandmother's the, the victim and she doesn't know this so I thought well I've got that I've got that her grandmother's a murderer and I've got that she likes dogs what can I do with it and how am I going to redeem her and then I just suddenly one day was in the kitchen and I thought I think I just read Thornbirds which took me a long time you know in terms of I hadn't read it before and then I finally thought I've got it's a book I have to read I remember mm. reading your first um contemporary women's fiction novel and and it talked about thorn birds and stuff mm. <laughs> and, but but I hadn't read it then and it, that was you know I thought I should read it should read it and then I must have been around that time I'd read it and suddenly I was cooking dinner one day and I thought 
read many romance novels about none. <laughs> There's probably a reason for that. And then I thought, what if Adeline sort of discovers, like she's this horrible person who's kind of been quite a, a bitch to a lot of people and stuff because she's kind of got this elevated opinion of herself because of her family and her grandparents in the area. I thought, what if she discovers, you know, she has one last, you know, bad experience with a guy and then she discovers her grandmother's a murderer and hopefully I made it a lot more believable. But then she decides, she asks for a sign and mm-hmm. the sign comes that she should join a convent. So I had a lot of fun. But then then I suddenly realised, when you said about Sound of Music, that basically what I thought of was a modern-day Sound of Music because Adeline um, goes to join a convent. She's a bit like Maria in that it's not really what, obviously, it's a romance novel, so it's not going to be, you know, her life thing. But she's trying to be good and work all that sort of stuff. And then she meets this guy who doesn't have lots and lots of kids. And this is when I clicked that, oh, hang on, it's a bit like Sound of Music, when I decided that I would have a guy who fosters delinquent teens. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, I feel like writing a book is like, and I'm sorry, this is taking a long time to describe. I'll, I'll shut up in a second. No, don't, but, it's all you know, interesting. Please don't shut up. <laughs> there's lots of, you know, different angles, you know, different seeds, I kind of think, of writing a book. So I had the Adeline wanting to, I thought she's good nun. And then before I'd come up with a nun, I'd already kind of had the hero in my mind. And because she likes dogs, one day I was at the post office and I saw, you know, they sell books there. And I saw a book called Back on Track. And it was about a guy who, um, you know, helps teenage boys and stuff sort of that are at risk of going off the rails through training dogs and things. And obviously the original idea, you know, often changes but that was the original seed of inspiration. I thought, well, what if there's a guy in town that, you know, has is helping lots of foster kids and delinquent teens and he fosters them and he uses dogs to help, you know, and that her dog meets their dog and, you know, kind of goes from there. But that's, that's kind of then I thought, oh, hang on, he is like the captain in some ways because he has all these kids. I, then I realised, unfortunately, research got in the way. You're not allowed to foster more than three children. So that's another oh. spanner in the works. But, but, um, but you know, that's what happens and you've got, to, you've got to go with it. So then I thought, oh, okay, so I've got kind of a modern day sound of music. Instead of having singing nuns, I'm going to have TikToking nuns. Oh, and, you know, like I just, but then, of course, we needed Maria. I'd already had that the hero had a brother. So that it all kind of just, I realised it worked kind of out. And... So that became kind of the Uncle Max character. And then I thought, well, I need a Baroness. So I thought the hero can have a friends with benefits at the beginning. Right. Oh, okay. And so that's kind of how it sort of just all came about. Um, and it was so much fun to write because I just thought, you know, I loved, I do love Sound of Music. I mean, it's not like Sound of Music really at all, apart from that, you know, you could draw those parallels. But it was just something different, you know. Um, and, I mean, parts that are probably ridiculous. But I really realised the, the last few years of, of struggling with my creativity and particularly doubt and anxiety mm-hmm. that I do this because I love story. I want to write, you know, because not, I mean, obviously all of us would like to, you know, make some money, <laughs> but that can't be the the main reason, you know. Um, and so I've just really worked on on trying to have fun with what I do. And that was kind of, um, yeah, that was the effort, an effort to do that. Yeah, so that's why I did that, yeah. 
Well, I hope you... that answer your question. I don't even know what it was now. No, well, what you did because it was about it was about talk to the heart, and you now you mentioned TikTok. You are a whiz yep. at TikTok, so oh, I don't, obviously you've got some experience. <laughs> I am definitely not a whiz, and I was probably like you. I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, I was like, I'm not going anywhere near TikTok. <laughs> I it's enough with Facebook and Instagram, and then. About a year and a bit ago, I finally, you know, took the plunge, probably when Coho Colleen Hoover was like yeah. just going crazy on the charts and stuff and everyone was saying it's because of TikTok. I mean, I think TikTok is one of those things, the same as social all social media, the author is not, it's it's organic, you know. So mm. I don't put a huge amount of effort in it anymore. I played with it a little bit at the start, but I try every now and then. It's addictive though and I find I'm trying to write two books again this year, so I really don't have the time because, A, it's addictive. You need to scroll to work out, the, you know, to get the algorithm, train the algorithm and all that sort of stuff and participate in conversations so that people will that view. But also, yeah, coming up with original TikTok ideas. I look at some people, I'm just in awe of, of what they do. I think it's like a, a talent in itself. <laughs> Well, I've got to say, I look at yours and think, oh, man, she comes up with great stuff. I could never do that. Oh, well, so, well thank you. So that's why I'm saying you're a whiz. It's funny because um, I think I had some okay ideas in the beginning. Like I, I had, I did something like a Confessions of a Midlist Author and, you know, but I was like, I used all my good stuff before I had anyone following me. <laughs> You can always yeah, repost. I think, I think the moral yeah, of the story is reposting. I don't know. Um, yeah. If you don't mind talking about what you mentioned about struggling with your creativity, I'm actually really interested yep. that um, in that because there'd be people who feel that for themselves, so mm. people who have been writing for a while, who have been published for a while, or people who haven't been published and want to be published. And the key, I guess, is in you saying that you decided to have fun. Um, but mm. that struggle is real um, a lot of the time. Yeah. And I would, I would think particularly for you with so many books behind you and so many different stories and characters and, and communities to build in your mind, it must feel crowded up there sometimes or maybe not. But yeah. I would imagine that's part of it. No, that's a good way of it. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, crowded. I think um, I, I read a lot about sort of burnout and stuff around around the time. As I said, I I. I'm not quite open about it and I'm happy to talk to about it because I think, you know, yeah, we, with social media, especially we see, oh, everyone's doing so well. Everyone's, you know, can write 10,000 words a day and has 50 ideas, you know, and, um, and is winning awards and getting TV deals. And it's so easy to go, oh, you know, and so I think that's part of it. Like you had to, I had to realize just, just play, stay in your own lane, kind of don't worry about what other people are doing and remember you know why you do this but yeah I, I went through two books ago I think it was um it just got it, it, it took over it came happened over a, a while I'd say probably a, a period of a few years um and I don't know if it was I think maybe it was burnout maybe trying to do too much I remember it kind of coincided the beginning I think as I said it probably took about five years when we sold our business uh, my kids were all at school finally and I was writing full time. So then I suddenly thought, oh, I was writing two, you know, romances a year when when I had little kids at home and we were out of business. I can do like even more now. And so I stupidly took on uh, three books for Harlequin, Mills and Boone. But they were, they were what I tried to do years and years ago when I first sort of, well, not originally first started, but close to first starting. And I just, I'm not the type of writer that finds that it's it's everyone thinks oh you can just write a, a Mills mm -hmm. and Boone that's easy you know just knock it off in the afternoon there's a formula 
but it's such a tight craft Mm -hmm. and it's so focused just on the hero and heroine and um, certain things that I, I just, it's not me. And Mm. so even though there were shorter books, taking that on, I think really burnt me out and put the pressure. And then of course that got behind on what I loved and what I was wanting to do. And that built more pressure on that. And because this did become my, and is my full-time job, Mm. then I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert that says in her book, Big Magic, that you should never let your um, passions have to, never rely on your hobbies or your passions to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. because it can take the joy out of it yeah. so you know I realized something needed to give a couple of years ago I started I, I talked to my doctor about it I started anxiety med- medication and I, I did speak to someone for a few sessions and it really helped um, but I think it was kind of the permission to go just yeah to take some pressure off and go look as I think so many times we want to get published right that's the first thing we want to write want to finish a book then you want to get published but then that's not enough and then you want to, you know, it, it just, you keep whatever, when you hit a, when you hit a goal, you suddenly move the goalposts. And I was a qualified teacher. I didn't teach for very long because then I stupidly had a baby think it would sleep all day and I, I'd go to hang on maternity leave. And, <laughs> but um, but uh, I wanted to earn a teacher's living. That's, that's a teacher's wage. Mm-hmm. That was all I ever wanted to do. And I was doing that with my two books a year mm-hmm. but suddenly I thought well you know maybe I want to be more maybe I want to be able to you know fly first class around them, you know and and so I think the, the the desire to be better yeah but also to be more successful mm-hmm. put so much anxiety and stress on me that I forgot why I do this mm-hmm. and and now I've really gone back to well yeah I need to pay my bills but really that's my that's my benchmark you know I and I I, I I'm happy. I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. And so don't ruin it by wanting more, if that makes sense. And try just try to be grateful for what I've got and try and enjoy it a bit more. And and so that's, and I, I read a whole lot more than I was probably. And, you know, if I don't meet word count or something, that's okay. Whereas before I'd be like really hard on myself. But yes, it's probably a podcast in itself. <laughs> well, and and it's it is great to talk about. Um, and I'm happy I'm happy to talk about it. Um, and glad you're happy to talk about it because I do think it applies to a lot of people. And it, particularly when we load up the things we love with the expectation that yes, it's got to support us, and therefore yeah. I have to meet these certain benchmarks, as you were saying, even if it's a word count a day. And there's really no manual for that. You know, it's not like no. you can go to a course that will say, okay, so when this starts, yeah. this is how you, how you do it. But I do have to also applaud the fact that you continue to write books through this. You continue to. Well, I think that's probably because I had to, literally. You, <laughs> you continue know, to produce um, stories that people love. I mean, that's the other thing is, yeah. is to write. It's You could be sitting in that feeling and half deliver. You know what I mean? Like kind of undercook. Yeah. Well, and I, I probably had the opportunity to do that because the book that really nearly broke me was Outback Secrets, which came out last, no, probably a year and a bit ago now. Time's going too fast. I cut down to one book a year, like when I, when I was getting um, the, you know, the pressure I could tell that it was was getting to me. And I thought, well, I don't want to just be turning out books. You know, I want, the, I want to be doing this for as long as possible. Mm. And, you know, I know that then... I have to do the best books that I want because I don't want my readers to start going, well, yeah, she phoned that book in and, you know, that one wasn't very interesting now and maybe I won't try the next one. You know, I want to keep them. So I knew that I had to 
so they started by cutting back to a year but in some ways that added more pressure because basically it just halves your income <laughs> you know but then so then I think that pressure got even worse and what happened with Outback Secrets is I wrote 35,000 words this is where I think your head really gets to you and it can really you know it can be if you let your subconscious work well Mm. it can it's amazing but if you let the other side I suppose really get to you it can be so damaging and I wrote 35,000 words of Outback Secrets and then I just started actually feeling physically ill every time I thought I had to get up and write you know I I was just I just thought it's not it's not working I can't do this I've got a deadline in you know three months or whatever I literally cannot I don't know what I'm gonna do (laughs) um and so then one day I had a nap instead of um Instead of sat down and forced myself to write, I said we were we were on school holidays, and I thought if I just do five hundred words a day through school holidays, you know, mm-hmm. but it just that even that was just making me so feeling ill and sick, and um, and so then I had a nap one day, and I was like, you know what, I need to start again, right? And it was terrifying because I had 35,000 words and I liked the characters I liked the words in some ways I just felt in my gut that it wasn't working mm-hmm. and then I started again with a different heroine but the same hero because that was always going to be that hero because it was from the other book so I didn't really I couldn't change him and then I wrote 35,000 words so I thought 30 the first time then 35 and then I started feeling that way again and I realized and then of course now I'm very close to deadline and I realized no, it's just not working. And I know my really close writing friends were saying, it is, it's not, it's not the book, it's you. You've got all the elements that you need for a strong romance story. Mm-hmm. But I, was, I just couldn't explain it, but I was like, no, I have to start again. <laughs> and so yeah. then I went back to basics of ro- romance writing and I chose a really strong, well, I chose a trope, you know, if, if anyone reads romance or talk, writes romance, they'll recognise, you know, that word. And I decided I was going to write a, a fake relationship story because a friend said that was her favourite type. And I just thought, I'll do that. I'll go even more rural on my heroine because I think part of the issue was that she wasn't rural and either was a hero, he was a publican, and I was feeling that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. But then I basically thought I just have to make this work. Even if I don't like it and I forced myself to write it, that book did require a lot of revision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did get there in the end. But it was very, very hard work and it wasn't enjoyable. It's interesting, though. I don't know about you. I feel like we're not the best judge of our own work no. <laughs> uh, because that book sold really, really well. Maybe it was a cover. I don't know. But all the reviews, it's like one of my strongest books in terms of reviews and stuff. When people say, oh, my gosh, I, I loved all your books, but that one just, I, I, I want to say, were you on drugs? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And also, so, I don't want to break it to you. But yeah, you know, a great cover can can might work for your first book, but you have form now. Like these books keep selling really, really well. So it was not yeah. the cover. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was hard. And so I didn't, you know, I honestly I, I remember thinking, if I can't do this, that's it. Right. Like I'm just gonna have to this is my last ditch attempt. But then I think the funny thing is the book before, as I said, it had been taking a while. The book before, I you always, I'm sure you I get to a stage in every book where I think this is not just the worst book I've ever written, but this is the worst book anyone has ever written. I don't know what it's about. It's about nothing. You know, <laughs> like, and I don't know what the point of it is and it's all stupid. And I think that used to come to me later in a manuscript, but mm. over the course of me getting more and more anxious, it came a lot earlier. Right. And so I remember the book before that, I got to a section that was really, really hard and I just thought, I said to my friend, if I can pull this off and it does well, whatever, I could... 
I'm never going to doubt myself again. And then that was my, you know, testing fate or whatever, because the next book almost broke me. So, But it's, look, as I'm fond of saying, writing is not hammocks and scented candles. It is is earth (laughs) and gristle and blood. And it's, it's a lot more... Like dirty and mechanical, I think, in some ways, because sometimes you just have to sit down and get it done as you yeah, do. Yeah, I that, think that that people want to think it's nice, don't they? People yeah. want, like, people outside want to think, oh, we just, you know, sit down and just flows out of our fingers. And we would love that. But then I think so many more people would be doing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not for yeah. the faint hearted. Yeah. Well, and also the fact that, I mean, I tend to feel this, um, that you're kind of hewing the characters out of your own flesh in a way. It's a weird thing yeah. to say, but. But when you have a physical no, response as you did to a manuscript and felt felt in your body that you couldn't go any further, I do think it's because yeah. there's it does feel like you're donating bits of yourself and, and there yeah. are not necessarily processes to get that back when you're writing at That's that time. That's true. Yeah, I think, like, you have to listen to your body and obviously that was telling me I needed to take a bit of a break. Um, I went off social media for a month as well, um, which doesn't sound like much, but it, it did kind of help. And then I just, as I said, I've, be, be a bit more aware of my negative thoughts and stuff mm-hmm. now I, I can pull myself back and and stuff like that but I did realize I think there's a, two different types of writer's block you know some people will say writer's block doesn't exist um I think it does but I don't think it has to be as debilitating like I, I, it's weird I feel like now I've come through that Outback Secrets drama I said to my publisher actually I never I did 10 years before that and I never felt like a proper author Right. I almost feel like a proper author now because I feel like I've been through so much and managed to come, managed to make it work that I can, I'm going to touch some wood here, yeah. can almost make anything work now. <laughs> but um, I think I've learned from that that there's life causes writer's block and it's not necessarily that, you know, that you're creatively blocked. It's that there's mm-hmm. just too much going on in your life and your emotions are taken elsewhere and you can't put that energy into the book. And the other thing is, if you're stuck in a book, you've lost your way and you're trying to force the book to go somewhere it's not. And usually if you just take a step back. So yeah, I learned those. I learned a lot through this time. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, and, and because you've talked about writing romance, um, I'm interested in the, you know, the structure of romance is there. It's in some ways simple. Um, it can be freeing because that structure is there. You don't have to come up with a structure, but I'm wondering if for you it has felt constricting or maybe it's felt both at the start. It might have felt freeing and then it became a constriction. Yeah, it's definitely felt both and it still feels both in in lots of ways. Like people often ask me at library talks or or a journalist will say, oh, which one do you like best? You know, do you like your rural romance or do you like your contemporary, you know, general fiction? And I say, honestly, whatever I'm not doing. And that well, that that was until I actually really refound the joy. And I have refound the joy now. So, but that was how I felt for many years because it's like the grass is always greener. I, I thought whenever I'm doing a romance, I thought, this is too hard. This, you know, I have to follow this structure, like you say. I know a lot of romance people authors hate the word formula. Mm. Um, it doesn't bother me. I think, you know, it's it's basically a structure and, mm. and that's the thing, as you said, like we've got to, and, you know, crime comes with a structure or formula, whatever you want to call it as well. If you don't find out who the killer is or by the end of the book, you're annoyed. And that's, that's basically what romance, the structure is. It's a promise to the reader that by the end of the book, they're going to get that, oh, happy ever after feeling. And the two people that they've met right near the beginning, they know that they're going to get together, but they've gone on that, you know, dirty and all that sort of stuff and so yeah I know with a romance 
I've got to have that meet cute. Somehow they're mm-hmm. going to meet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, and then I know there's, there's probably going to be a kiss at some stage, probably a sex scene. There's got to be some sort of conflict that's stopping them just badly falling in love. You know, so it is, it is, I would say in some ways it is easier, even though the most hard book I've ever written was Outback Secrets, which was a romance. And I think so on the flip side of that is you have to, you know, those characters, the characters become very real. They should become real if you're a writer. Like, and so you can't force them to do things that they wouldn't do. And I've, you know, um, and not, and so that's kind of what was happening. It, it, why I felt in my gut that that book wasn't working is those two characters, while they were great, I loved both the characters and things, or both, the, there was a reason why they would just not pursue their relationship. Like the conflict was too strong, if that makes yeah, right. sense. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, or there was other things like the timeline. In one of them, they were going to put on a, a Christmas pantomime, but that takes a, a reasonable amount of time, yet I needed their relationship. It's hard to explain, but, you yeah, know, I, I was not, I was trying to force characters to do what they wouldn't do. So I think that's the problem with romance in that, yes, you've got a structure and stuff, yeah. but each character or each pair of characters they you know they throw new sort of hurdles at you and you have to kind of you have to make them connect and that's the hard thing I think about romance um Mm. and to keep it fresh because that's Mm. the as we've said you know with a romance yes people want to read what I said but they also don't want to feel like they've read it a a million times they want the feeling that they get from a romance but you don't want to think oh hang on I read this exact story last week so that's the pressure for romance. I think it's it's following that structure, but making the characters fresh and the story fresh enough each time. So, but then on the flip side, when I do a women's fiction, let's just call that now. Um, you know, I can have two point of views. I might have one point of view character. It might be over the course of ten years. Not that I don't think I've ever done ten years, you know. <laughs> but like <laughs> the the elements can can be a lot more fluent. If that and. and Yes, I mean, we probably all loosely follow some sort of, you know, free art stretcher or all that kind of stuff. But I feel like it's not as set in stone. Mm. With, uh, and that, so that's the problem with that. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think, again, it's the characters that are key. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be good and bad. Because if you follow them and it's working well, it's great. But if, you, if you're trying, if you think something, they need to be doing something and it's not working. And what they want to do is not going to work either. That's when yeah. it starts, you know, getting really tricky. Because yeah. they do have a life of their own. And I should say you call your women's fiction life lit, which is great. Oh, I did for a while. And I, I don't mind that term. Like, I don't know. I, I, someone actually else came up with it. You know, I know um, Jackie Arthur, who used yes. to be yeah. Yeah, um, in publishing industry. And and she was the one that came up with me because she was a publicist for the Patterson, no, the Patterson Girls. But I don't know. Anyway, I think it may have been the Patterson Girls. And um, she came up with it because she said, what's the term for it? And then we talked about women's fiction and, you know, there's that whole, I think there's three things I don't like about women's fiction. One is the sort of belittling sort of element that it's just women's stuff and it's not that important. The other one is that men do read what we write, you know, maybe not a huge massive percentage, but there is enough that I've met, you know, plenty and you get emails from them and things like that. But the main one is that women's fiction doesn't really tell you anything about the story, whereas if you say I write historical fiction, I write crime fiction, you know, I write romance, you immediately know. So I'm not sure Life Lit ticks that box either. <laughs> but then um, Pamela Cook, who I'm sure you know of as well, um, you know, she actually puts it to me and she said women's fiction, she thinks is a really empowering term. 
because it's about, you know, primarily women writers writing for primarily women readers and celebrating the things that, you know, women Mm -hmm. deal with and find important. And so I quite like that. So I'm not as down on the term now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll use both. Um, Now, one of your particular gifts as a writer, I think, is, uh, is creating characters who immediately connect with readers. So every time I've read one of your oh, books, you. I just feel <laughs> from the first page, I'm there. And it, and it's it's a lot harder to achieve that than it looks like because it it could look like, oh, you just sat down and started writing this person. Yeah, yeah. But in order to make the reader feel that comfortable with a character, you as that character's creator have to know them really well before mm. you start writing. So I'm interested in in whether you do put some planning into characters, whether that's you know, writing notes or or doing a graph or whatever it is, um, or just or just mentally keeping it uh, with you until you start writing. Well, I can tell you, there's definitely no graphs happening in my life. <laughs> Very, I can't do spreadsheets. Although the book I'm writing now, I tried to do a spreadsheet at one stage, but then I decided that that maybe that spreadsheet told me the pacing and everything wasn't working. So then I threw the spreadsheet and the whole timeline of the book out the window and start again. Um, but I think what I generally do is um, I will come up like I know uh, that there's, it it really varies from book to book because some uh, characters appear like stronger, if that makes Mm. it, like they just appear in your mind stronger. Um, Like I'm thinking about the book I'm planning to write next, that sort of premise came rather Mm. than the characters. So I'm still trying to work out, you know, who those, I haven't started, but I'm just like thinking in my head because, as I said, I'm making two books this year, so I'm picking myself under stupid pressure again. Um, so even though I'm finishing another book, I'm thinking, hang on, I better, you know. What I often do, almost every book, is I've got a, actually, I think it's in my bedroom, unfortunately, because I was looking at it for this reason. I've got a book called, um, I think it's 16 Master Archetypes, Heroes and Heroines or something. It's quite old, hence why it says hero and heroines, and it's very gendered in the, um, the different archetypes, but it's still very useful. Um, and I just kind of, I feel like even if I don't know who a character is or their name or what they do, I've kind of got a general feel of what, like the next book, I know I've got two sisters, twin sisters who are around 50 and mm. I want them to be very different. So I kind of, that's that's made me go to the, the archetype book and go, well, what are like almost the polar opposites? And we've got one of the archetypes is the boss. So like a really driven, you know, someone who's always worked hard, professional, you know, that type of person. And then the other, another of the archetypes is the free spirit, mm-hmm. kind of a party animal or a comedian. So I usually start with those two things and I kind of just write as much of the notes of, of what those type of characters are. And then it kind of just starts me thinking, if that makes sense. And then I forget about it as I write. Um, I'm hopeless with things like what they look like. Mm-hmm. I don't care really. So that I don't either. Um, like I don't describe so my characters bad. much. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it because I'm like, oh shivers! I should gotta say what they look like, and then I, I don't. I can't think of anything more than oh, this person's tall and this is short. <laughs> um, so so I'm not very good at that. Um, so I will sometimes, especially for the uh, like rural romance or whatever I will choose some a couple of celebrity type photos one thing I have found useful is choosing a, a, a sort of a theme or a word for each character mm-hmm. and I usually do that before I start as I think things change vary from book to book but so you know for this next book maybe it will just be their archetypes almost like party girl and you know career woman 
And so that then, but I've had things like, uh, you know, uncertain, and I'm trying to think, I've taken myself off my last book, but I've had things like carer, nurturing, uh, uh, like lost, you know, so so that whenever I'm in that character's point of view, I know this is sort of the main thing that they are at the moment. And it sort of just helps me ground the scene and think, well, if I'm someone who's a party girl, how would I be in this situation? You know, yeah. so, so, and then I kind of just go for it and, and just, yeah, work out who they are as I go. And that can change, that might change as I go. And then I realize something about them and I'll go back and, you know, tweak it or fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you plan plots before you begin as well? Because again, part of the art of, of what you do is making the reader feel really comfortable. And the highest compliment I like to pay is your books are easy to read because that is very hard to achieve. And Thank your books you. are really easy yeah, to I've read. Got a, um, I've got a, uh, oh my gosh, a magnet from the New York Public Library that I can't forget, I forgot who, it's a famous author who wrote it, but said, um, easy reading is not easy writing. <laughs> Very true. Right. Yeah. Well, it is because it's that it's that art of making things look simple, and it's you know, yeah it's that, that old trope about the duck with the you know ducks look smooth on top of the water, and then the legs are frantically paddling. Yeah, but yeah. I think that, that is true. Yeah. Easy reading. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, what was the question? Oh, if you <laughs> plot much? Like plotting a plot. Yeah. That's right. Um, no, I always think oh, it must be easier. Do you plot? I'm sorry. Uh, not too far ahead. Like I have an idea yeah. of an emotional arc for the, the character was yeah. where they start and then where they end. But in terms of actual story, I might only plan a few chapters ahead and even that'll yeah. change but once I've started. Actually, like- I'm, I'm similar to that, I think, now because, I, as I said, I've worked, I did a, um, at the Romance Writers Conference last year, I did a uh, workshop that I presented called, I think, um, Oh, I don't know. It was something about plotting. Oh, in, uh, embraced your inner inner pantser. That's right. And it was talking about you know because there's so many methods out there about plotting and how to do it and that, but there's not there's a very little on how to be a pantser. Um, and I definitely am more of a pantser. I think it's probably one of the reasons why it took me so long. I mean, it took me 15 years to get published of trying and writing, you know, a lot of books. And I think part of that was because. I stupidly at 17 decided I wanted to write a book, but I was not a reader. <laughs> you know, it's a weird. But I found reading at the same time I found writing. And mm-hmm. reading, literally, that really is the best way to learn how to, to write. Mm-hmm. And and I think people who have been readers forever um, or like, finally I feel like I've been a reader forever because I've been doing this now for over half my life, mm-hmm. not published in that time, but I have, you know, and I've been obsessed with books all that time. I've still got a lot of catching up to do, classics and stuff, hence the Thornbirds. Um, but I think if you read a lot, you've got, you kind of just know in your head about plot. Mm. And whenever I think too much about plot, um, like I've had friends, you know, who are saying they're doing the save the cat method or someone sends me a whiteboard of all this and I think, oh, my gosh, I'm doing it wrong. And then I should, I, uh, but if I start thinking, even even probably the furthest I can go is what's the in setup and the enticing incident kind of thing. If I start thinking, well, what's going to happen at the midpoint or what's going to happen if uh, the other, as I said, I don't even remember the names, then I start panicking. I've realised I think, oh, well, that's not going to work because, you know, the story is stupid or whatever. Yeah. Whereas if I just plot micro plot kind of as I go, then it doesn't, by the time I get to things I worry, I'm worried about, often it doesn't matter anyway because the story has taken a different direction anyway. 
Um, so I have really learned. I wish there was a simpler way because, you know, it's it can be very stressful and you can write, like I did in the other book, 65,000 words. But I think plotters could, like I feel like if I plotted, that could happen as well because I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, but it just gut didn't. But I have really learned to follow my gut mm -hmm. and to trust the magic mm -hmm. because I think there is an element of magic in writing. It's the only area of my life where I'm a bit woo-woo. <laughs> but um, like I honestly think things will happen. You'll put something in and you don't really know why or if it's going to be a thing. Um, and then it, it emerges that it becomes quite a thing as you go on or it, like it just your subconscious knows more than you if you trust it. But that's hard. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, and I think you end up writing, uh, or I don't know, I end up writing probably longer books than I should because I ramble a bit. And I, but then I, I don't want to kill the darlings. <laughs> so, yeah, I do edit and I have, you know, obviously you have to edit and um, I do cut things out. But I sometimes wonder if I was a better plotter and would, would I then, you know, not have scenes, you know, or, or would I, sometimes those scenes don't make the book, but I would like it if I didn't have to write them in the first place to get there. But I've realised I do. I just have, that's just the way I work. Yeah. Yeah, that's your nature. And before it. you... Before you mentioned your gut, I was the question that was forming in my head was, do you feel it in your body as you're going along when something's not right? Because I I feel that as well. I'll get to a point where I'm like, oh no, 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 that is just not right for that character at that point in time. I might intellectually think, oh, I should make them do XYZ. I just think, uh -uh, that's not happening. So yes, it does take time to get to the point where you can trust the gut, but it is yeah. extremely powerful. I think your gut is super powerful and, and yet yeah, I think probably earlier on I didn't trust it as much and sometimes I don't want to trust it. Like the book I'm writing now, which comes out next year, um, I got to 75,000 words again. So I, luckily I didn't scrap that set, but that's when I realised, as I said, this spreadsheet because I just felt my gut, the timeline wasn't working. I was trying to make it over the course of a whole year right. and so I'd started on New Year's Eve and which meant I felt like I was going to have to finish then because I'd started yeah. then kind of thing. But the, the the scenes weren't, like I was having to stretch everything out. Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, what are they going to do in June? I got to May and I had 75,000 words. Well, this book is going to be ridiculously <laughs> long. And what, what are, there's nothing for them to do in June. I was starting, and then I suddenly thought, you know what, it's the structure, the timeline is not working. Mm -hmm. um, I knew in my gut, but I stupidly thought, I'm just going to toss a coin you know, and if, and I'll start again, because it's hard work, rewriting, you know, we know is really hard work. And I thought, well, I'm at 75,000 words. If I keep going, you know, I'll have a draft in, you know, another month or so. But if I stop, I'm basically starting again. So I tossed the coin and said, if it's heads or whatever tails, um, I'll start again. And if not, I'll keep going. And it said to start again. I didn't like that idea. So I was like, best of three. <laughs> But it still said to start again. And I knew in my gut that I should start again. But I was right. like, oh. Anyway, I did. I ended up saving a whole load of stuff, but I just changed it so it started Valentine's Day. It was a really simple save because then I didn't have to worry about the whole year. Yeah. I had to change a few things at the beginning because Valentine's Day was slightly different to New Year's Eve and different. But it was it was easier to change than I thought. And mm. then actually a lot of things, the, the pacing just fell into place a lot more because I didn't have to think, well, really, I better spread it out a bit. So it was a simple change, but it, it did take another three or so weeks to rewrite and feed it all back together. Yeah. But I know that that was worth doing. Um, the other thing I did with that book is 
I'd put too many subplots in because again, I had a whole year. So I thought I'll just have all, you know, the heroine or the main character had like four colleagues, which so is good friends with us. So we'll give them each, you know, something going on. And I've had this surrogacy thing in there for absolutely no reason. Like, and sometimes, sometimes, as we said, that's the gut you got to follow. Maybe that was, but that, that I knew by the time I got to 75,000 words, I was forcing this. The other plot lines sort of meant something, but this one just felt wrong. But I really liked the scene where mm. the character's best friend tells her she's going to be a surrogate for their other friend. Like, I just loved it. And so that's literally why I wanted to keep it. And oh. so I did keep it for a while in my rewritten. And then I, I, I still felt my gut. So I, I scrapped it completely. So you have to, you do, your gut does know. And I think if you're stuck at all or you're starting to feel um, worried and anxious, mm-hmm. it's usually because something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to follow it. Yeah, um, but still, you could save that seed and you in something else, and you know, just never know. Yeah, sure. You never know. I think that's the other thing. I was starting to. I was. I don't know if you've ever had this, like a secondary character kind of takes over a bit, and I really liked the, the friend, and I thought, oh, well, if I see it in this, then she could be the next book. But I was like, no, this is not working for this book. So you know, <laughs> but she could still I be the next book, right? That. Like, because maybe, yeah, yeah. Oh, I once had a character barge in and, and demand a point of view. She's extremely bossy. I wasn't <laughs> going to give her one, but there she was. I thought, okay, every time I write you, you're taking over. So that's that's how it goes. And did you give her the character? Which book was that? This was a Belbert River Country Choir. It's a character called Gabrielle who's the cousin of um, who, someone who I thought, okay, Victoria gets the point of view. Gabrielle's just the cousin. <laughs> no, no, she was very bossy. Just that's thought, so okay, funny. <laughs> I can't. This is, this is the way it is. And, I mean, anyone who doesn't write, will think we sound crazy saying that because they're like well it's your choice you you're the writer you can do what you like but it doesn't you know if I think if you do try to do that Mm. it will come across on the page you've got to go with it sometimes well yesterday even just yesterday I was writing um, the first chapter of a new manuscript and the first sort of the first chapter this character has with a point of view I planned her I thought I knew everything about her started writing and all this other stuff came out I thought who is this yeah I don't recognize anything. And that's amazing. Like, I love that. You know, it's frustrating sometimes, but at the same time, it's exciting because then, you know, I feel like it's it's on the right track. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I could actually um, have you talking for hours about writing because this is all (laughs) fascinating. I could Um, talk to you for hours about writing as well. (laughs) I want to pick your brain. But um, I will get to some more general questions um, uh, for other writers who may be watching and, and um, just trying to do like a standard structure here. This is my method. Well, I'm yeah. just going to stick with it. Uh, do you have any tips for someone who's wanting to start writing or has started? They're not quite sure if they should keep going. I imagine reading is a big tip because you've already mentioned yeah. that. But is there anything else? That- Definitely reading. I'll just, I will quickly say something about the reading first. I think. Um, I often felt when I was starting to write and, you know, I thought I was pursuing it seriously, I'd feel guilty in my spare time or the time that I allocated for writing. I'd feel guilty if I wasn't, you know, adding words and actually writing. Um, Whereas reading is very inspiring and you learn a lot. So if you're not feeling it, sometimes don't force yourself. Like as I said, I lost the joy for a while and I really think that's, you know, that's, that's super important if you were so work out I'd go right back to say work out why you're doing it. and if you're doing because you love story and stuff then don't lose the fun um, I actually say to uh, some aspiring writers people have come up to me and said 
oh, you know, I've tried, I've written a couple of manuscripts and I've sent one out and I got a rejection from, you know, one, they named one publisher or something and they said, oh, it's really hard, like maybe I should give up. And I think they're hoping I will say, no, don't give up. If you keep going, you know, you'll make it eventually. But I've started saying, yeah, I think you should, I think you should give up. Not just because, Sophie, we need to, we need people to buy our book so we don't need competition. <laughs> That's not why. The reason is because I really think, like, I was about to give, I thought I was about to give up just before I got published. And um, I don't know whether I would have actually been able to give up because I do think writing is, you know, it's, it's like you catch a bug. I've got voices in my head. Half the time they're not the useful voices or not the, but it's always kind of, you know, and you'd be thinking, whether I can make a story out of something, I'll often think, oh, that article would make a good story. I don't know how to make it a good story, but that's how you, you kind of think or people say stuff and you, you're thinking, oh, that's going in a book. Um, so I don't know whether I could have given up. And I really think if you're having any doubts, try to give up because, hey, it's much better if you can just read books and enjoy your life. You know, it is a hard, <laughs> as we've said, it can be, It's there's other ways to earn money if that's why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling pressure and starting to hate it I would say try and give up and then if you can't you'll realize that this is what you're supposed to do if you can't then yeah you have to just keep at it and I would say join like find your people join Mm -hmm. an organization for me that was the Romance Writers of Australia that really turned my writing around I you know found out people that were serious about writing for a career and also I met you know, I met publishers and agents through through Romance Writers of Australia and I started learning things. I did a writing degree at uni, which is a total waste of time. I started learning things through other authors doing events, and, I mean, and did workshops. That's how I started learning. So I do think those sort of craft things are useful. I'm continually wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. But I, I sort of go through uh, swings and roundabouts where I think, you know, I have 50 million craft books behind here. Another one came today, How to Write a Page Turner. Have I read half of them? I haven't read even, I haven't read half of half of them. And But I'm always thinking it's a bit like magazines, you know, it says you can lose seven kilos in seven days or whatever. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, that's what I can do. But it's always just exercise more, eat less, right? Yeah. Writing a book, there is no secret. You just have to do it. And I think you can learn about, you know, it's important. To, I love listening to how people do it and learning stuff. But at the same time, sometimes you've got to just switch off that because you can, those learning too much can almost kill your voice, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I yeah. think it is a matter of, I don't know, some writer has said that, you know, it's like an apprenticeship, you're putting your time in. Uh, so I would say you've just got to put the time in, meet people, keep doing it, read lots, don't give up. But also, yeah, don't don't follow all the rules necessarily. You've got to really find your voice. But my biggest and piece of advice is don't rush because I think um, these days, like I know many people who are really well self-published are doing a great job. Some of them, that was their first, you know, publication. Others have, you know, lost contracts or changed genres and, you know, they've been decided that, well, they've had experience in the publishing industry, they can do it themselves and they're doing really a good job. But I do think, um, so I've got nothing against independent publishing. For me, I want to focus on the writing. So it's not something I necessarily want to do. I'm not saying I'll never do it because, you know, <laughs> but um, I think so many people, it's, it's in some ways it's easy now to do that. Yes, it's hard if you're doing it properly, and all that, but you can just write something tonight and put it on Amazon 
Mm. And I think so many people just get that one rejection and think, well, the publishers doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm going to put my book out there. And that's too easy these days, whereas, you know, we had to really go through hard yards of writing and getting rejections and learning from that and just keep going. And so I just think, think I guess what you want in the long term do you want to make a sustainable career of this so if so maybe you have to listen to some of the feedback and but I mean you work you work in publishing you know that there's an element of luck too um and so maybe you're getting rejection but it's not the book but maybe it is and probably I'm thinking half the time when you're a new writer it probably is the book and you could probably put that one aside write something else you know just keep learning and and going because I do think people just rush to get published now because it's too easy whereas I didn't have that option and I'm kind of yeah. glad <laughs> yeah the planets definitely have to align you know it has to be the right book yeah. at the right time with the right publisher although I am still laughing internally at you Rachel Johns holding up a book saying how to write a page turner when all of your books are page turners. <laughs> oh well thank you <laughs> but also um just to to go back to something you said about the romance writers of Australia that is a professional development organization for anyone who doesn't yes. know and might think oh it's just a lot of people sitting around talking about romance. Yes, they're talking about romance novels, but there is so much professional development and so many professional yeah. writers who are members that it's And I would say we've got crime writers, um, you know, there's people who are writing general fiction too. I think a lot of people, when you say romance, they think, oh, you must be writing either Fifty Shades of Grey or you're writing for Mills and Boone. And, yes, we have people who write for Mills and Boone and do very well with it. We also have people who write in the genres of Fifty Shades of Grey, but then... We've got a whole lot, like that's not that's not just what there is and there's so many opportunities. And I also think, yeah, craft is the same across most. I mean, obviously there's little things that are different, but, you know, writing a page turner is the same, but so is the business in a lot of mm. ways, you know, mm. social media, um, the networking. And so it is just a really professional organisation. I'd been in a number of, you know, smaller writing organisations before then and, they, there was and there's more now though I, I meant to say that too in terms of when I started in 2006 I joined IWA there wasn't a whole load of um courses out there and we the internet was so young as well you know now you've got places like the Australian Writers Centre and Queensland Writers Centre and Victoria's they're all doing online there's a lot more out there um mm-hmm. so, you, so you can find your your group or whatever but I definitely think it's it's worth, you know, you get, you learn stuff from doing a course, but you also meet people who are going to help you through the whole, you know, journey. And it's like this conversation that we've had, I said, I wish I could pick your brain. You know, it's so, you learn so much from talking to other writers at different mm. stages of their career that I think that's, that's the valuable part about connecting, you know, in an organisation. Yeah. And the spirit of that, I'll ask you one last question, which is what is the best writing advice you've been given? Oh my gosh! I'm gonna look on my wall because I've got some lots of little. Um, <laughs> trying to think. Um, I should have said that. It's. It's. I wouldn't know if it, I don't think I've actually been given this advice personally, but I collect. I love podcasts. I was very excited when you, um, you know, told me you were you were starting a podcast, and I I collect like the things that people have said that I've heard, and I think. It is, it's looking, um, this is my favourite bit of advice that I've got on my wall. It's from Jane Green um, and it says, take care of the characters and they will tell their own stories. So I really like, yeah, I do really like that. And then the whole uh, other advice is, um, 
everything you write is an opportunity to deepen the story. So, you know, it all should matter. That's from Lucy's score. But, yeah, I've got, I think, you know, I can't think of anyone particularly telling me one thing. Actually, no, I will. I can tell you. This is not necessarily writing advice, but this is business advice or it's writing uh, life advice, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And that was Julia Quinn of Bridgerton fame. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to the Romance Writers Conference in Fremantle in 2013 before she was hugely massively, you know, she was successful, but not the realm of when Bridgerton went um, TV. And she said, you can never hurt your own career by helping someone else. Because right. the only thing you're going to do to hurt your career is write a bad book or be a bad, like, you know, behave badly and people, uh, um, that she said, you know, people that read your books and my books, they don't just read one author. They read multiple authors. And I want them while I'm writing my book and my book comes out, say, in January and yours comes out in August, I'd rather they read your book than, than start reading fantasy or or go watch Netflix because then maybe by the time my book comes around, they're still reading our genre. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just thought that, yeah, that's a whole – I forgot about that for a while probably in terms of not that I wasn't helping people or whatever, but I was thinking, you know, it's so easy to compare yourself and that. But, really, you are – people read more than one author. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing you can do is just try and write the best book you can and not worry about what anybody else is doing. Well, you have helped a lot of people, I think, by what you've said on this podcast, because it has been so interesting. I really could talk to you for another like 10 hours about everything, everything <laughs> you know, but um, that's been so generous of you, so helpful, so interesting. Um, and I will put a link to your website in the show notes so that people can Thank you. find your books. And I'm looking forward to Talk to the Heart when it comes out. Oh, and, excellent. Uh, <laughs> I'll make sure you get a copy. <laughs> And, uh, and also whatever you're writing for next year. So, Rachel Johns, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Writing Books and Music podcast. If you'd like to know more about the writer you've just listened to, please go to the show notes.